We are doing our Advent study. We looked at hope last week, and this morning we're looking at love, and specifically to choose love in our lives. You know, there's a good question that should start the, the discussion. What do we mean when we talk about love? What is love? You know, is love that those, those feelings I get when I'm getting nervous around somebody I'm attracted to? Is love the response to a really, really good pizza? I love this pizza. What is love? What do we mean when we talk about love, especially as we come together as a church and, and you know, we, we looked a, few, uh, a couple of months ago that the mark of the church is love. What does that mean? What do we mean when we talk about love? And, and specifically love for one another. Is my love for uh, many of you the same as my love, for instance, with Amy? I will call her my love. I call very few people my love you know, or even dearest or anything like that. I don't even know that I use those kind of lang- that kind of language. But what do we mean when we say we love one another as a church, as, as members of the body of Christ? And, and what do we mean when we talk about love in the context of God is love and the love of Advent and the love of Christmas time and the love that came down to us? Are all these things the same as that I love this pizza. I want to look, we're going to stay in Romans. We were in Romans chapter 8 last week. This week we're going to go one chapter to the right, Romans chapter 9. In this chapter, Paul is telling the Romans, and, and he's wrestling with the fact that the Jewish people, those who were chosen of God to be his people, have rejected the Messiah, the one they waited for, Jesus And he's saying, look, just because uh, some Jews have rejected him does not mean that all the Jews have. For instance, Paul himself was a Jew. And most of the early Christians were Jews. So right there at the very beginning, you had the, the, the root, the people who were still going to follow God no matter what, that held on, the remnant. But he goes on to talk about that it's not necessarily those who are born a certain way, who are the people of God, but those who are children of the promise. And he, he, so he, he, he gives them an illustration between Ishmael, the older son of Abraham, and Isaac, the second son of Abraham, but the promised son and the only son of Abraham and Sarah. And he says, Isaac was the son of the flesh. He was brought about through the flesh by the practices of the flesh, through the desires of the flesh. Isaac is the child of promise brought about through the power of the Holy Spirit in enabling an elderly man and an elderly woman to have a child. That is the child of the promise. That is the child of faith. And that is who is a child of God. And then he gives them a second illustration because there could be a very ready uh, argument against using Ishmael as an example. So he goes to the next generation, Isaac's kids. And he says to them in chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, which are our passage for today. He says, and not only this, but there was Rebekah also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. 
For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And so what Paul is talking about here is he's saying, look, here you have two kids, both of a patriarch, both of the right mother. You know, Isaac got married when he was 40 to one woman and had two kids, and he stayed in Canaan. That is his story. He's kind of the, the, the lesser of the three patriarchs, you might say. He, but he's the one who did good and stayed in the promised land. And so you're, you're looking at this, and, you, and, and what Paul is saying is, here is the guy, he had two kids with the same woman, they were twins, and before they were even born, so that it could have nothing to do with which one was more godly, which one obeyed more, had nothing to do with that, but so that it could completely be based upon God's act of calling out and choosing. He told Rebecca, as they were, as these, you understand, remember the that she hadn't conceived and Isaac prayed for her and then she had uh, conceived and then she was in a lot of pain and so she goes to the Lord like, why am I in so much pain? And he says, oh, there are two nations warring within you. Yay! And the younger, or the older, excuse me, the older will serve the younger. The way it went back then was the younger served the older, that the older got two uh, it, you know, if you had an inheritance, they got a double portion. So if there were only two kids, you would split everything up into three thirds. The oldest would get two and the younger would get one. They got a double portion. And the younger was expected to serve the older, to obey the older, to give uh, preference to the older. But before they did anything, before they'd even come out, I mean, just think about this. Who controls which baby comes out first? Everything, up to God. He said, the older will serve the younger. Even, if, even as a, a, there's the potential for, we don't know, you know, the odds are, or the, the, the chances are, which one will come, will be born first? Which one will be older? I guess it could have gone the other way. But God declared, no, not based on anything they do. The older will serve the younger. And then we're given the quote from Malachi. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And before we get too worried about God hating people, the language that he is using here for love, the language that he is using here for hate, uh, isn't quite as emotional as our words for love and hate mean. When the, when the writers in the New Testament were writing, they, 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 they had several choices, but they predominantly used two words to, to describe what we have translated as love. They had the word phileo, which is where we get the root, or the, the prefix for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia means brotherly love. Phila or phileo, is love. 
And so you have philanthropy, the love of humanity. You have, uh, like I already said, Philadelphia. And, and there are a lot of words, love of money, love for one another, all these things, phileo with a suffix, another word, and they make it a compound word. The, the second word that can be used for love, though, is a word called agape, and we've probably all heard that quite a bit. You got agape music, you got agape ministries, you got agape church. Agape is the word that is predominantly used of God's love for people, although there are times when the, the writers use phileo for that. And we need to remember that this is something in the Greek, this is something that the writers of Scripture, so, so Luke and John and Paul or whoever was the scribe for Paul, this is what they chose to use, not necessarily the words that Jesus was speaking. So they were interpreting and saying, this is what he is talking about, love. And even the, 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 the word here for hate, Esau, I hated. The word hate has this idea of uh, to love less. So for instance, when Jesus said, if anyone doesn't uh, hate his mother or father in comparison to me, what he's saying is not that we should hate them in the way that we think of hate, like I want to kill you, I want to you know, stab you in the guts. No, that's not hate that he's talking about. He's talking about love less. That we need to love our parents less than we love God. And if we do not love our family less than we love Him, we are not worthy of Him. Now, it comes across to us, hate's a strong, powerful word. But it's, a, it's more of a comparative basis that we would... So when he says, I, I, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, what he's saying about Esau is I loved him less. I comparatively... I chose Jacob over Esau. That's, that's what he's saying. Not that he didn't care for Esau. Not that he didn't still bless Esau. Not that he didn't have uh, you know, a creator's love for Esau. But I chose Jacob over Esau. And that's what the language really has to do with his, his choice. The word agape is a, a preferential-based word. It, it was the word that the classic Greek writers used only of God's and their favor on humans. It, it was a top-down kind of a lo, uh, expression that we translate as love. It was a feeling that one who is greater can have and elevate one who is lower. It is a preference. It is a decision. It is not based on experience. Phileo is an experience-based word for love. It, it's, it, it has the idea of affection, that you cherish somebody. It, that, that I'm getting warm, fuzzy feelings from this person, therefore I phileo them. I, I appreciate, and so for instance, I, I appreciate in my life otters. If I go to the zoo, I want to see otters. Otters bring me delight. I don't need certain other animals. If I miss the elephants, I will live. But I want to see the otters. And, and I'm so sick about my preference for otters that if I'm not at the zoo but my family goes to the zoo, I always say, well, did you go see the otters? I mean, even if I'm not there, somebody's got to see the otters. And you really want to upset me, Fort Worth Zoo, don't have otters. Now, that's not because one day I just chose otters. 
No, when we would go to the zoo, when my kids were little and we'd go to the zoo quite often, I would see them and I would say, I could just sit here watching. These guys are great. I love the way they flip around. I love the way they eat off their bellies. I love the way they swim. I could just sit there watching them because of the experience I get from them. You go see the hippopotamus and he's just sitting there in his water. Ah, that's nice. The experience is why I phileo otters. I love them because of the experience. I like to watch them. What we're talking about here, though, with the word agape is, is a, a decision base, not an experiential base. So it means to have preferential desire for one over the other. It means to uh, have goodwill for someone. It is not based on what they do. And that's the most important part of this. A lot of times when we talk about love, we're talking about what somebody does, right? And we have this, we have a picture frame that Amy made when she was in Mops. So this is going back years now. But it says, I love you because dot, dot, dot. And every time the bathroom gets cleaned, the picture frame gets erased, right? It's a clear with a backing of white, and we switch off. You know, every time the bathroom gets clean, the picture frame, so sometimes I'll come home and the picture frame's empty. And I've got to come up with a reason I love my wife. Okay? And, and some days I'll come home and there's a new reason why she loves me. And at first, when she first brought this, this was difficult for me. Because I would look at that and, and it says, I love you because. And I'm thinking, well, I love you because I love you. I, I made that choice a while back. And I've stuck with it. And, and I don't love you, you know, because you do something for me. And so, in fact, a lot of times to, to make sure I do my good husbandly duty and actually write something on this board, I will stop and I will translate it for myself. I will say instead of, I love you because, I'll think to myself, I appreciate you because. Or, I like about you. And that will help me to think of something that I can then write. Because the truth is, if I'm going to honestly answer, I love you because, my answer is because. I love you. Full stop. Because. Not because you're kind to me. Not because you clean the house. Not because you take good care of me. Not because of the money. Not because of how hard you work. Not because, no, because what happens if that is the basis of my love for her? What happens when she stops doing those things? I love you because you cook so well. What happens when she stops cooking so well? What happens if she burns her dish? Remember in the, in the Jewish time, in Jesus' time, there were actually rabbis that said you could divorce your wife if she burnt your dinner. She displeased you to the point that she burnt your dinner. Because that was the basis of divorce. If she displeases you. Well, let me ask you. Those of you that are married or have been married, you don't need to raise your hands, but... Has your spouse ever displeased you? I, I am certain I have displeased my spouse. I know that I have not always found pleasure in her behavior or her actions or her choices. If my love for her is based on my experience with her, what happens when we go into the crazy cycle and start banging our heads against each other, trying to see who's got the thicker skull. 
Where does the love grow then? See, the love that God has for us is not based on us. The love we need to have for one another is not based on the experience we have with one another. The love that he is talking about here is a choice. Love is a choice. Jacob I love. Jacob I chose. Esau I hated. Esau I didn't choose. I chose Jacob. Why? Because he made you feel good, God? No. Because he was such an obedient person? No. Why did you choose him? Because I chose him. Because I decided Jacob over Esau. Younger over older. That's it. When we get married and we get together and we have our vows, and one of our vows says, forsaking all others. That is a choice. To love your spouse, to love the one you are with, not because, oh, they look so hot, not because, oh, they treat me so kindly, but no, because I choose to love them, and I choose to not love everybody else forsaking all others that it doesn't matter what more handsome person comes in or more professional person comes in or more accomplished person comes in or more wealthy person comes in or kinder person it doesn't matter because years ago you made a choice and you stick with that choice and what happens what happens in our lives is instead of having agape love for one another we have phileo it's based on experience this person makes me feel good. This person is kind to me in this way. And what happens is if those experiences wear out or if those feelings wear out or if we start having experiences somewhere else, well, our love changes. Our love grows cold. And our, our love may heat up somewhere else. That's not godly love. Now, that's not to say that we don't have phileo love for those that we agape love, that we can have uh, an experiential love, that we can have uh, an attitude of affection for that person. But the basis needs to be, and so, and, you know, in my little thing, that's what I'm doing. I love you because, you know, and I'll give her, and, and no, I'm not telling you. Those are private. Those are between me and her, Okay but I can write those experiential ones, but always in the background. And I've been so tempted, and I think I tried it once early on, and she told me, that's not going to cut it, pal. I love you because I love you. I chose to, and that's it. And I don't know about you, but I, I like the idea. I am more comfortable, I am more confident in the idea that love is a choice because it's not based on the other person. It is based on the lover, not the love. God loves you regardless of what you do, regardless of your choices, regardless of your actions, His love is there. God doesn't get tired and say, I no longer love you. In fact, that's what we see here in, that, in Romans chapter 9, in verse 10. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, what does it say there in verse 11? For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, not based on their behavior, not based on their past or future behavior. Sometimes we like to say, well, well God knows what we're going to do and therefore He chooses. No, that's still based on our behavior. 
If there's a beginning, if there is somebody who made the first move in our relationship with God, it is God. He made the first move. That does not negate negate whether or not we choose him. But a very important thing here is that without any choice of them, without any action, when they had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to choice, to his choice, would stand not because of works, but because of him who calls. That is based on the one who calls out and makes a choice. It is based on him, not us. So that his purposes could stand. So that we could recognize it is all grace and it is God. And this is the the important thing here is that it's his choice. Love is a choice. It is his choice. And he chooses who he's going to love. That God chooses to love us. God did not need to create the world. He chose to. He did not need to populate it with humans. He chose to. He did not need to redeem us with his son. He chose to. The cross is a choice God the Father made. The cross is a choice God the Son made. He chose to love us. John 3.16, Jesus says in this way, for God so loved the world, and we sometimes think of that as he had so much love for the world. That he did this amazing thing. But that's really not the the thrust in the original language. The original thrust is that in this way God loved us. For God so loved, not amount, but in this way. He loved us that he gave his only begotten son. That's how he loved the world. He sent his son. God chose to do that and he chooses to love us. And, and, And again... This is a very, to me, great thing. Because there's nothing I, if God's the one that chooses to love me, and he chooses to love me not based on the, the, the evidence of anything good or bad I've done, but solely because he is the one who calls out and says, follow me. What can I do to lose that love? What can I do to, to stop that love? There's nothing I can do to stop it. There's nothing I can do to lose it. Now, what do we, what do, we do see, though? In John chapter 6, uh, Jesus, talking to his disciples, he said, did I not choose you twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. We got Judas as opposed to the other eleven. In fact, Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, makes this point. In, in John chapter 15, Uh, verse 16 and 17 he says to them you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name he may give to you this I command you that you love one another you did not choose me remember go back to the beginning of the gospels what was it Jesus walking along the the sea he sees Peter and he sees Andrew, and he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave their nets, and they follow him. And a little ways later, he sees John and James. He says, follow me, and they follow him. That wasn't the normal way of students following a rabbi. Ordinarily, what would happen is that the student, the wannabe student, would choose a rabbi and go to the rabbi and 
desire and ask the rabbi for permission to follow and to study. And I think one of the reasons for that, uh, it's very similar to a lot of things in our lives. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was, uh, if you went to college and, and when I was graduating high school, I did not have colleges knocking on my door saying, we want you to come and study. There are students that do that. There are students that colleges recruit academically, but we see it mostly in sports, right? Why do the schools request some kids but not others? Most of us, most kids are applying to get in. We, we have to write a, an essay about why we, can, we would be such a great addition to their school. Because those students are an unknown the school doesn't know one student from another, and, and so you have to apply, and the school will go through and try to figure out who's who. But when you've got a star athlete or a star student who's really smart and is excelling in their area, and a lot of schools are aware of that student, they start saying, I want that student on my campus. They're going to help our football team. They're going to help our soccer team. They're going to help our basketball team. Or they're going to help our prestige as a, as a school because we're going to graduate them and they're going to go on and do great things because they're so smart. We want them. And so they go to recruit them. Ordinarily, students have to apply. And back then, that's what they did. They would apply to follow a rabbi because the rabbi was known the student was not. The crazy thing about Jesus, when he was walking around, he was the unknown. And those disciples that he called, those fishermen, that tax collector, they were known by him. They didn't know themselves. They had given up on the whole education. They were not looking to be students of a rabbi. They had jobs. They had families, some of them. They had careers. And he came by and he said, follow me. He turned things around because he knew them. They didn't know who he was. He wasn't a famous rabbi. And he said, follow me. Not based on anything they had done. Not based on any qualifications. They weren't star athletes. They weren't star students. No, but he wanted them to be his disciples. He chose them. And he said, I chose you, you did not choose me. But even then, one of them was a devil. And here's the thing, God chooses us and he calls us and we still have the opportunity to choose him. We choose him in response. We choose to love him. Not based on an experience. Quite often, some of the experiences we have with God would be the type of thing that cause you not to love him. He leads us on some strange paths that look hard. He called the disciples to leave their businesses, to leave their nets. He called Paul to leave all that was so precious to him. And eventually Paul got to the point where he said, all that I once held so dear I now count as rubbish. He does not call us on easy paths. The experience with God will not be one that leaves you with a lot of joy in the experience. So why does he, how do we love him back? Through agape love. And that's the amazing thing. This, this thing that the original, the classical Greeks only saw as something a, a greater could give to a lesser. He calls us to give it to him. That we would love him as a choice. 
that we would love Him in faith, not based on our experiences, not based on what we're going through, not based on how good He is to me. No, that we would love Him even if He does not give us what we want. That we would love Him even if following Him means hardship for us. That we would love Him in faith, not based on what we see or experience. And 11 of the disciples loved Him. 11 of the disciples chose to follow Him. Even when it didn't make sense, even when things looked really bad, they chose Him. Even when they had completely failed and didn't know what to do when went back to fishing, the second somebody said, that's Jesus on the shore. Peter jumped in the water and started swimming. He loved him. Even when he had nothing to give Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Peter, do you agape me? Peter couldn't even claim it. He said, oh, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? Peter said, oh, Jesus, you know I phileo you. And finally, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter said, Jesus, you know all things. You know I phileo you. He he couldn't even get to saying, I agape you. I love you without conditions. I love you because I choose to. And Jesus was willing to work with him. And Jesus told him, you know what? Someday you're going to serve me because you're going to go where you don't want to go. Somebody's going to take you by the hand and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And John tells us that in this way, Jesus was declaring how Peter was going to glorify Jesus in his death. Even to death, Peter chose to love Jesus. And that's what we all have the opportunity to do. Do we choose to love him back? How do we do that? By obedience. To to obey his commandments. By believing in him. By trusting in him. That is what we are called to do. But beyond that, Notice Jesus said in verse 17 of uh, John 15, This I command you that you love one another. And when he says that, he doesn't mean, I hope you have an experiential love of one another, a phileo love, but rather a command that you agape love one another. That you love one another as an act of preferential treatment to each other, not based on anything one another does but have an attitude of goodwill toward one another, of benevolence, if you will. And that's what He calls us to. God calls us to love one another as He has loved us. That we would love one another with grace, not based on how good are you or based on what are you doing for me lately, but based on a choice that we make. Our love for one another is here and here. Not out there. It's not based on what you do for me or what I do for you. It's based on our choice to love one another. Just as our ability to follow Jesus is based on a choice to trust in Him and to follow Him. And it's it's all based on God's love. That He has chosen to love us. Not based on anything we've done. Not based on how great we are. We don't bring up His stats. If anything, we probably bring his stats down, and he's okay with that. He loves us because he has decided to love us. And I don't know about you, but that is a much safer place to be than he loves us because he likes us. 
Because even when we're terrible, He still loves us. God has chosen you. He has chosen to give you life. He has chosen to show you love. I want to invite you today, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, to choose Him back. He has chosen you. Choose Him. And for those of us that have been chosen by Him and have responded in belief and faith, as He has chosen us, He calls us to love, to choose to love one another as well. Not based on the experiences, not based on the warm fuzzies, but as an act of faith, as a choice we can make. I encourage you today, let us choose to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your choice in our lives, that you have chosen us that there is nothing we did to earn it and therefore there is nothing we can do to lose it, but that you have given us your love. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would not stand idly by and watch your love pass us, that we would respond. That's the difference between the eleven and Judas. He didn't love back. He didn't love Jesus. He didn't love your ministry. He didn't love your gospel. He loved money more. Father, I pray that we would love you back. As you have loved us, as you have created us, as you have called us to be your people, we pray that we would love you, that you would be our God. And as an act of obedience, that we would love one another. Lord, help us to look at our relationships not based on what is that person doing for me, but the choice I am making to love that person. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child or a parent, sometimes the hardest thing can be to to love those that we're supposed to love. Lord, I pray that we would approach those relationships in the way that you have approached us. That it would be our choice. That it would not have anything to do with the actions of another. But so that our selection might be true. That we would choose to love. We ask and pray that you would give us the strength and the grace to do it in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.